0: I, I, you guys didn't sit down. Sorry. <laughs> I, forgot to, I did that in a wedding once. People were standing like half the wedding, and I was like, oh, sorry, you guys can sit. Um, I am curious what the conversation was like when they said, hey, let's have Frank preach three sermons on gender, marriage, and sexuality." And then we'll have the youth pastor go preach for the first time. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. Um, Three of the most polarizing topics in our culture right now, and I get to follow that. So I'm going to leave. No, just kidding. Hey, I thought, what would be appropriate to talk about um, after Frank preaches on sex? And so I thought, let's go with passion. Um, So cue the playlist. I'm just kidding. There's no playlist. If you weren't here last week, you're not laughing because Frank played a very inappropriate song, and we should all— <laughs> we should all— um, we should all be very upset with him. I'm just kidding. I laughed. How many of you were at Trick Tree Treat last night? Should I say Twonko Tweet? <laughs> Sorry. If you weren't here last week either, you didn't get that one. This is why you come to church. Um. So, passion. That's what we're talking about. We are a culture that is in love with stories. And I think that that is a statement that is true of really all time. But today, we are a book reading, movie watching, Netflix binging society. How many of you have already binged Stranger Things 2, season, or episode 2, or season 2, or whatever. No? The other, all of you other people, I haven't either, so I was too busy preparing for the sermon. Okay. So um, that's what we do. We love story. And so today, we're going to dive into story. We're going to be in the book of John. And in chapter 18 is where we're going to start. So if you want to scroll there or flip there, uh, there's Bibles in the lobby if you didn't bring one. By the way, I guess I should say for all of you who may be visiting or have no clue who I am, uh, my name is Patrick and I'm the youth pastor. Um, And really it should be a welcome to me because I'm the new guy. So I can't say welcome to you. Hey, so chapter 18. Um, how many of you know how to make olive oil? Has anybody ever done that? No? You guys, like, weren't, like, born in Italy or Israel or... All right. So they take taken a bunch of olives, and they put them in these... Bas- well, today I have no idea. Some machines probably do it. But back in Jesus' time, they would take all these olives... And they would put them in this basket weave thing, right? It was probably like like yay big. And they'd put them all in there and they'd put them on an olive press. And this giant stone would come down, be lowered down onto these olives, and it would squeeze them so tight that all of the oils from, from the olives would just run out into this little canal and they would go into this basin. And then they would just do that over and over again. And and then they would uh, have olive oil. Um, So I don't know if you know this, but Gethsemane is Gat Shemin, which is the place of the olive press. That might not be news to you. But I think that that is important in our context here because Jesus walked across the Kidron Valley with his disciples after the famous upper room scenario where Jesus prays the the great uh, high priestly prayer um, in chapter 17, and they go to this place, the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the place of the olive press. Now, olive oil was made with immense pressure. I think that's interesting because Jesus goes to this place, and we're told that he prays, and he's just under this pressure because he knows what's coming, and... There's just this illustration there um, that really happened, right? Gethsemane was a real place, but there's also this literary part of the story uh, that we begin to understand as we read this. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and read when uh, starting in chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, so the high priestly prayer, he went out with his disciples across the brook the Kidron, where there was a garden. drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So this is our first kind of glimpse at Peter in this story that John is developing in this part of his gospel, okay? And... um. I want to be very uh, clear here because it doesn't say that. It says that he cut off his right ear. But I have a question. Who draws a sword to cut off someone's ear? What do you think he was aiming at? Probably his neck. Peter was looking to kill this guy who was going to arrest Jesus. Okay? It's very important. Okay? Peter is willing to kill. Somebody for Jesus. Let's jump down to verse 15. Um, Well, I guess for context, let's go into 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Anas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. And so Jesus is being led to his interrogation. Now Simon Peter, verse 15, followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door, and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples are you? Notice her question. She made it really easy for him to answer, and he does. He says, I am not. Now, the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire, okay? This is important. Uh, Charcoal fire. What's the thing about charcoal fires? Like, they smell, they have a very specific, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Aroma, I guess, all right? And that's going to play in later when we get to chapter 21, which is where we're going. So there's this charcoal fire that Peter's around, and he's got to be smelling it. And he's just denied Jesus one time. Okay? Um, Now, sorry. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Okay, so now Jesus goes in and he gets questioned by Anas, who was Caiaphas' father, grandfather, one of those two. Um, and Jesus gets questioned and he doesn't deny anything. Watch this. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them, and they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Anas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Okay. So we're going back to Peter. Jesus has just encountered the high priest for the first time, and he denies nothing. So we go back to Peter. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. All right. So Peter, I want you guys to, to, we're we're looking at this through the eyes of Peter. All right. So he's willing to kill a man. And then moments later, Jesus is bound, arrested, and led into uh, these people who hate him are going to question him. And Peter is presented a question three times to which he denies being a follower of Christ three times. All right? Now, Caiaphas, okay. Josephus um, is a Jewish-Roman historian, and he tells us about Caiaphas, and he confirms that Caiaphas was the high priest during this time in Jerusalem, Okay, so they think that they've found Caiaphas' house today in Jerusalem. You can go there. So Saint, the church of St. Peter, uh, let me get it right, it's a funny word, Galicantu. So the church of St. Peter in Galacantu is the proposed site for Caiaphas' house. Why is that important? It doesn't tell us where Jesus went that night because it breaks scene and then the next time we start reading, he's in front of Pilate, and it's early morning. So this is not Scripture. But it's recorded in history by Josephus that Caiaphas, this high priest, something that they would do with the prisoners is they would take them to Caiaphas' house, and that's where they would keep them before trial. Now, if you go to this site, Um, there's a pit in the basement or the lower chamber of the house. And what Josephus records for us and what they would do is they would take these prisoners and they would bound them up and they would beat them until they confessed to what was being required of them. And if they wouldn't, they would lower them into the pit, cover the, the hole, and the prisoner would dangle in darkness. And then they'd pull him up, they'd beat him, and do it again. All night. That's what Josephus tells us that Caiaphas and his minions would do to their prisoners. Now, I need to say it again, that the Bible does not tell us that. Okay? We don't know really where Jesus was. I'm willing to bet because they hated him that he was at Caiaphas' house. Um, Psalm 88 is one of the saddest psalms ever, well, written, of our collection of psalms. If you could turn there, uh, it was written by Haman the Ezraite And so, really, we don't know why Ezra, or Haman, sorry, wrote this psalm. I don't know if he wrote it about Jesus, but given the context of what we've read, and I apologize, I've read a lot this morning. Peter has denied his Lord and Savior thrice. And now Jesus is carried off, bound, and arrested to Caiaphas' house, where I'm also willing to bet that people knew what was going to happen to Jesus that night. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 88 with this kind of in the back of our minds. It says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me, You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes, my eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. How many of you do your morning devotions in Psalm 88? Hey, what I want to talk about is, is Jesus is God. Amen? Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh and became man. And he suffered. Like, this is the saddest psalm. Like, did you hear it? Did you hear the the desperate call? I don't know what Jesus was thinking in that pit. Um but he knew scripture inside and out. Maybe he was quoting Psalm eighty eight. I don't know. Um some of you know this story. Jesus then goes to the cross. Um, If you didn't know that, uh, come back on Good Friday. I don't know. No, let me let me be serious. Jesus um, suffered. He was then put in front of Pilate. He was mocked. He was scorned. He was spat on. He was given a crown of thorns. He was beaten after probably being beaten all night. And then something I think that the cross is has, it's become something beautiful to us, and it is. But they took nails and they drove them in his wrists to a board. And they took nails and they drove them through his ankles to a board. And they took that board and lifted it high while he bled out and died. Um, I said I was going to talk about passion, and some of you are like, whoa, I didn't think it was going to take this turn. Uh, We get the word passion from the Latin word pati, which means to suffer. So maybe you've seen the movie Passion of the Christ. Maybe you've heard something about Christ's passion. Um, Jesus suffered on the cross because he was passionate about you and me, his church, his bride. Um, I guess I, I spend time here because we only do that on Good Friday. Um, like, I can't I can't say it to you guys enough. Like, Jesus suffered was nailed to a cross, bled out, and died. That's heavy. They took him, and Joseph of Arimathea said, hey, I got a tomb, let's put him in this tomb. A tomb that no one had ever laid in before. And then um, three days, so Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, Jesus lay in the tomb and on the third day, the disciples went and, guys, we sang it in the song, behold, the tomb was empty. That's the gospel. Jesus suffered, was beaten, was killed went to a grave and walked out of it. Do you really believe that? Sorry, let me ask that again. Do you really believe that? Um, No one I know that's died has come back to life. There's a lot of pain there. And I know that that's true of every one of you sitting there. But Jesus did. Um, So let me say that again. Do you believe that? A man walked out of a tomb. Good. That's good. Are you willing to die for that? We'll get there. We'll get there. Hey, so, so Jesus rose again. Can I at least get an amen or a murmur or something? Jesus rose again. I know, that's we reserved that for Easter. Sorry. Um, hey, so then in chapter 21, I'm going to jump. Jesus appears to his disciples, uh, and the whole Thomas thing happens. And then in chapter 21, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, uh, which is just the Sea of Galilee. Um, And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. That sounds like a good idea. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish. They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land. But about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. With fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net, a shore full of large fish, 153 of them, in case you were wondering. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. This is like, like this guy... Was hanging on a cross, bled out and died, sat in a tomb for three days, and he's like, Hey, come have breakfast with me. Have you thought about this stuff? This doesn't happen. It's never happened, except for this one occasion. Hey, come have breakfast with me. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay. Now we have my favorite segment of Scripture. When they had, wait, sorry. I got to tell a story first. We have time, yeah. Um, so I got married young. I was 20. Um, my wife is older than me. Um, And on my 21st birthday, we found out that we were pregnant. She was pregnant. But we were pregnant, right? Yeah. Um, nine months later, we had a baby. Well, I should say, Michelle started to have contractions on December 8th of 2010, and I was 21. Um, and we, we prepared, right? We were ready for this. We went to the classes. They told us all of the Lamaze classes, all that kind of stuff. Had fun with it. Labor came. um, And we were kind of like, yeah, we we know what to do, right? Contractions. We can, all right, yeah, you're doing this. You're breathing. It's good. Um, We should go to the doctor, right? So we went to the doctor. And they were like, you got time. You got time. It's good. You know, go home. So I had this brilliant idea. Like, hey, you're supposed to walk. Let's go to Home Depot. Um, So Home Depot was like right by... The doctor's office. So we went to Home Depot and we're walking around, and like every, you know, three minutes or whatever, she like would grip my shoulders and (sighs) and I would tell her to breathe and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like standing by the sledgehammers, like, it's okay, babe. Okay. And this continues like all day long. And I just like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I can't help you, but I can tell you to breathe. And then like, we went to the hospital when we thought it was time, and they were like, no, it's not time, go home. So we went back home, and it was nighttime, it was like midnight, and I was tired. I was tired. Did you hear I just said that? I was tired. Okay? I was. All right? And so in between contractions, I would fall asleep. And then, I, and then I'd hear her kind of go, and I'd wake up, and breathe, breathe, breathe. breathe. It's good. It's good. And then that contraction would finish, and, I, and I'd pass back out. Until finally, she's like, babe, I think it's time to go to the hospital. And I'm kind of like at this point, yeah, you said that already. Um, <clears throat> I really was thinking that and I apologize and I have apologized to her but I really was thinking that so anyway I was like okay fine let's do this so we get in the car at 2.30 in the morning we sped up to Vassar Hospital about 30 minutes away we get there and they're like this baby is coming out get her in the room you know, all this stuff right and the baby comes Declan you have met him hopefully and there's like this baby in the room Like, there wasn't a baby in the room. Well, there was, but he was concealed and hidden. And then there was a baby in the room. And all of a sudden, it hit me, like, what do we do now? (laughs) And Michelle was even kind of like, what do we do now? Like, 30 minutes later, Michelle says to the nurse, like, should I... Feed him? And the nurse was like, uh, yeah. And, but we were like kind of waiting for direction and some guidance and like, hey, you should do this. Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I'm guessing these other disciples love me. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Now I know when Peter walked up on that shore and saw that charcoal fire, he had a pit in his stomach. You know how that smell kind of does that to you? You smell something and all of a sudden, like somebody's mowing the lawn, and all of a sudden you're like, two-a-days, oh, football. I know when he walked up on that beach and smelled that charcoal fire that he thought, he, I thought, Breakfast? I can't eat breakfast right now. So he asked him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Because truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you, where you do not want to go. (sighs) Peter saw Jesus stretched out on the cross. Peter heard those words come out of Jesus' mouth. Uh, that day on the beach, Jesus redeemed the smell of charcoal. But I can guarantee you that that pit in Peter's stomach didn't go away. It says my time's up. <clears throat> hey, so I wanted to talk about passion with you guys today. Because Peter encountered the risen Lord Jesus on the beach. And I'm willing to bet that you sitting in the chairs are here because you have encountered the risen Lord Jesus. Um, what do we do now? What are you doing now? Like, really, what are you doing? I ask that like, to myself all the time. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, Patrick, What are we doing? What am I passionate about? What am I willing to suffer for? Um, My professors in seminary told me that I am really good at using myself as a negative example. Um, So they always encourage me to try to sneak a positive one in there. So bear with me, I'm going to try to. But we moved to Dallas in 2013, Declan was three, Grady was turning one. So we had a three-year-old and a one-year-old and a wife. And I'm the man of the house, right? Got to provide for my family. And we moved to Dallas, and I had a job cleaning pools, making $17,000 a year. And I was asking myself, what do we do now? But I thought, I am willing to suffer Whatever that looks like. For four years in seminary, so that I can feed your sheep. Whatever that looks like. Especially because most of the time that looks like playing dodgeball. <laughs> but I ask myself that question all the time. Like, what, are we, what am I doing now? And so my question because we've seen this, right? Jesus suffered for you, for me, for us, for his church throughout all time, from Acts 2, Pentecost, boom, church on. He suffered for his church, and we are called to do something if we believe in him. If we consider ourselves the bride of Christ I don't care how old you are. If you're Declan and you're six and a half, or if you're Addie Mae Butler, my grandmother, and you're 93, you're called to do something. And I think what happens is we don't know what to do. So we just say, well, I'm going to go fishing. And so I want to help you think through this, and I really want you to think, about like like what are your spiritual gifts? Where's Pat Wood? Are you in here? Like, is your spiritual gift gift gifting? Like looking up gifts on Facebook? And... <laughs> it was a funny article he posted on. But what's your spiritual gift? That's a hard question, right? Because we flip through the Bible and we're like, well, okay, here's the list. What uh Hospitality, that one—that's me. I'm very hospitable. Um, or we go, we go, we go online. We go Google and we go, Google. Tell me what my spiritual gifts are, and then you answer a bunch of questions, and Google's like, "You're hospitable." Um, and then, so then, maybe we think, "Well, what am I good at? Like, what did, what has God talented me with?" But I think it's a little bit more than that. Okay. It's finding out what you are willing to suffer for. Because Jesus suffered for you. And, and a lot of people, a lot of Christians go through life and they don't figure that out. And that's okay, I guess. They're still going to heaven. All that's jazz. It's awesome. But we are here and we are called to do something because the Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross and three days later, he walked out of it, the grave. Um, I also wanted to say, because I have six minutes, um, a lot of times what we do in church is we say, oh, I don't have to do that because we pay a salary to Frank Taylor." And he's called to do that. And he is. And I am as the youth pastor. I love hanging out with teens. I love preaching the gospel with teens. I love it when a teenager goes, Whoa! Jesus is real. Like he's alive right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. That, I love that. That brings me to tears. And I'm willing to suffer for that. I've thought about that. That is anchored in my soul. And so I ask you this week to sit down with your Bible and a cup of coffee, as Dave Baldwin would say, Make sure you get it from Furnace Hills. Or get on your hands and knees. I don't know. But I can tell you something. I can't answer this for you. Frank can't answer this for you. Bill Brown might be able to counsel you to a decision, but I don't know. He's giggling, so I guess not. And then, so wrestle with it, but then like, like bring it to your fellow believers, because we are all indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and he has spoken in in these words, he has spoken, right? This is the canon of scripture, 66 books, 27 new, 39 old, you listening, teens? That's the canon, he has spoken in it. And he uses all of us as believers to affirm one another of what he has said. Okay? And so when I was, however old I was, 19 or 18, and I said to my pastor, I, I think that God is calling me to be a youth pastor, even though I'm a youth now. Um, but I feel this burden in me, and I don't know what that looks like. And, and you know what? He prayed about it. He talked to other believers in our church about it. And he was like, we were waiting for you to come to that conclusion. That's what it looks like. And so wrestle with this this week. What am I willing to suffer for? And then talk to people about it. See what other people are feeling. Yeah, I can see you suffering for that. Or, you know, we, I think we got to talk some more. Or maybe you need to go see Bill Brown. I don't know. Okay? Um, can I pray? Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you for getting me through this, uh, getting all of us through this. Um We thank you for who you are, that you are God, uh, God on high, the Almighty. Father, you are sitting on your throne. Jesus, you are alive and standing at the right hand of the Father, and you are the only reason that we can talk to the Father. Spirit, you are urging each one of us this morning to worship. Uh, You have sealed us. Uh, You are working in us. and so I pray, Lord, this week. You would help us wrestle through these things. We pray this in Your Son's name, by the power of Your Spirit. Amen.